0: In his recent State of the Union address, President Obama announced a precision medicine initiative that aims to advance medical research so that healthcare treatments such as cancer care can be better matched with the genetic traits and other characteristics of individual patients. Precision medicine, also known as personalized medicine, depends on the use and sharing of sensitive patient health information. I'm Marian Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Florence Komite, a physician and early adopter of personalized precision medicine. Dr. Komite will discuss with us the privacy and security issues that she sees with precision medicine and how she's tackling those challenges to protect the privacy of her patients. Hi, Dr. Komite. Hi, how are you today? Good, thank you so much for joining us. So now for starters, please describe very briefly for us the kind of precision medicine or personalized medicine that you practice.
1: The kind of precision medicine I practice is fundamentally rooted in personalized medicine. As a physician, and most of my colleagues know, we all feel that we personalize medicine. But truth be told, most of medicine is very standardized. It's a one-size-fits-all because it's based on evidence. What I have thought about a good 20 years ago in anticipation of genomics is that there might be a way to figure out what's going on and predict health, almost like you had a crystal ball if you collected every bit of data and nuggets you could get on any human being, their lifestyle, how they slept, what they ate, whether they worked out or not, their family history, and we probe that. And then when we get all that information and this was well before precision medicine began in fact it started with my initiating and developing women's health at Yale in 1990 actually Um, and my own interest was based on the fact that as an identical twin I knew I wasn't identical to my twin sister so even though we started from the same egg meeting the same sperm developmentally both in utero and subsequently there are distinct differences so I knew genetics would not be all but the kind of medicine that it grew into is by virtue of collecting all this information, we are actually able to predict who's going to be a diabetic, whether they are already or it's going to be a decade or two. What the source of their diabetes might be if they're a triathlete and they're doing everything right at 40, yet their sugar metabolism is suggestive of diabetes, then this is something that might be hardwired into their genes.
0: So what sorts of health information technology is involved with your practice of precision medicine?
1: The way we approach it is we developed our own personalized EMR that's just used internally and is used, of course, on a – is housed on a database that is HIPAA protected. It's a very tricky question, though, because when you're collecting every bit of information beyond genomics, and genomics, which most people today are equating with precision medicine since our president announced his precision medicine initiative, I think what we're hearing is that people are beginning to think that you can take your genes and then therefore you'll know what's going to go on in your future, what's going on in your body, and therefore how to avoid disease. Not so fast. It doesn't really work that way. So, in doing what we think of as precision medicine and where the field I believe will begin to mushroom is by understanding that each of us are unique human beings, even twins. We have to collect very sensitive data that range from psychiatric function like, you know, issues of depression and anxiety, all the way to risks, high risks of cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and all those issues are quite sensitive because they can impact the person's employment, they can impact their health insurance, the long-term insurance. In fact, we get letters all the time from life insurance companies asking us to define and explain why a particular person who's applying for life insurance is on certain medication or certain supplements. And then we set out to prove that their health actually supersedes anybody else's at that point. They could be 40 or 50 with a high risk of diabetes, but because we're intervening and we're being very proactive about it as opposed to waiting until the disease actually strikes, This raises all sorts of questions in the insurance industry in particular. So we are very careful about the kind of data we document, how we follow through, and and I have to say, in all transparency, that I function that way anyway as a physician for many years. I graduated from Yale in the 70s and then trained both at Yale and the National Institutes of Health, so always did new kinds of work and new kinds of research in people, clinical research. And I was very attuned to people asking me, patients asking me, please don't put this in the record. I don't want it to get out. And that's a very important concern in today's world with precision medicine erupting, if you will. And I'm, I'm very excited about it, but I think it makes us stop in our tracks and think about what we can share and what we will share and what that ultimate impact will have on the individual in the future.
0: So now, how do you protect that patient information, especially genomics and other highly sensitive data that a patient might ask you not to share? Well,
1: to begin with, since we have a customized EMR, we actually have a way to protect that information. It doesn't become part of the patient's regular record. It's considered a conversation that's kept in confidence because the patient requests that. I think it's not unlike, and I think we can learn lessons from the way psychiatrists and psychologists work with patients and individuals, because there's very little in the way of notes that go into a psychiatric record unless it's that someone who's been hospitalized and there's overriding issues and are concerned. I think back at the beginning when I first started collecting genomic data, I actually ha- asked each and every person, and I still do to this day, do they want their name connected to it? And if not, we would actually put it under a pseudonym because we would ask them, You know, they would be concerned that this is something that could adversely affect their future, or they didn't know how it would be used ultimately. And so we thought that that was one way of approaching it, and in order to affirm that there's no data breach, which we know happens all the time in the financial world now, and it's predictions, and I'm sure you know this, Marianne, much more than I do, but the prediction is healthcare is the next huge hurdle, that breaches are bound to happen, and going to happen of the sort that's happened at Target and Sony and other places in the world. One particular point that I'd like to add right here is a personal story about one of my patients who started a company that was hugely successful. He was actually, his biological father was unknown to him, but he did know that Alzheimer's ran in the family. And he went ahead and decided to do the genomic data and then had very second thoughts about it and was very concerned, concerned to the point that I had to speak to him multiple times to assure him that this data would be kept strictly private, because his concern led to his thinking that once that data got reported, he, in order to be a good chair and CEO of his company, he would have to disclose it, and as such, it would could have very
0: negative ramifications on the work that he did in his employment. So with that said, how did you protect it, and how do you know for sure that the pseudonyms won't later be re-identified because somebody puts two and two together, and it's somebody that lives at a certain address, and their age matches up, and that sort of thing? How do you protect that?
1: We actually keep the data separate. They're not joined to the patient's record. So even if there are pseudonyms or real names, it is kept in a separate folder. Now, Most folks, believe it or not, most patients that I see will say, no, they have no concern. And then there are certain industries like the financial industry where misrepresentation is taken very seriously. And so if they decide to go forward, and again, not every person did because of the concern about security and privacy and, and, you know, ramifications in the future, then we would work with them to keep the data and... Position the data in their record in such a way, and this is vitally true and a point that needs to be broadly made, that just because you are you have this in your genome does not predict your destiny. We're programmed in our genes doesn't mean those programs will become activated. And certainly, that's where nature, nurture, the way we eat, the way we sleep, the kind of exercise we do or don't do can have an impact on turning genes on or off.
0: So now going back to your customized EMR, what made you decide that you needed a customized EMR versus an off-the-shelf or vendor EMR? Did your customized EMR have these various data protections? in it that the other sorts of options did not?
1: To some extent, yes. First of all, after doing a fair amount of research and early in the years of my work here, I would say about 10 years ago, maybe a little more, I was actually asked to work with Cerner who do provide EMRs and information and they saw that as an e-hub. But I think the overriding reason is the type of medicine, precision medicine, that I practiced is practice is not available anywhere else and is not taught. And so that's the huge hurdle that I think we're facing in medical work today and how we see this actually brought to fruition most of medicine is not only standardized and a one-size-fits-all but it's also based on evidence which applies to groups of people not you the individual and in medical school the way we're trained is we're trained to think about disease at least in the western practice of medicine it's a disease centric model of healthcare. care and as such there is no real knowledge of how to identify trends findings, data, metrics, whether it's in labs, in lifestyle, in family history, that increase your propensity to get a heart attack or to have diabetes where it's ugly head or cancer, any kind of cancer. And the way precision medicine is implemented today and the only way it's implemented, truth be told, is in academic centers that effectively look at tissue derived from tumors and cancers because we know not every person who has lung cancer has the same kind of lung cancer. Some lung cancers are sensitive to certain chemotherapeutic agents and others are not. And I've done some of that testing around the world with experts in my patients who have turned up with certain cancers when we do a very in-depth screening. So I wanted to define a new way to think which is effectively 180 degrees different than the way we practice medicine today. We will have to figure out a way to weave that into medical school training, to postgraduate training to think about how do you keep somebody on a health trajectory that will give them the best health span they can have. To match their lifespan. That is, as we age, how do we not decline and develop disabilities? That's the argument I use with life insurance companies. And in effect, most of my clients and patients—and I don't even like to call them patients—to to be completely truthful here, because patients means being sick. That's the definition. And I like to think of people as healthy, and how do we keep them that way? And that's why I created my unique EMR, because I wanted to be able to collect data and equally protect it in such a way that we weren't going to undermine
0: the very work we're trying to do. So now with your EMR, is data encrypted? Do you have role-based access control, or what sort of protections do you have Yes, we have exactly what you mentioned. It's
1: encrypted. It's role-based. For so the moment, we are setting it up in such a way that ultimately we're taking what we do in the center I have here in New York City, and we're actually looking at the next step that is scaling it in a employer-based delivery where it's going to be a B2B kind of model, and we'll be able to help employers identify at-risk individuals in a way to protect those individuals and protect the employer. So we are going out of our way to make sure that we have protections in place with the clients that we serve. Right now they're individuals, although there are some companies, and within the next year we're fully prepared to ramp up with employers who own the health of their employee base.
0: So now being that you'll be working with employers, does that mean you'll be sharing individuals' health information with the employers, and how will you protect that information as you're sharing it?
1: Good question, but absolutely not. I'm sorry if I implied that. We see the employers as the clients, but the data will remain private and protected for any employee who goes forward to collect that information. And there are examples of that already in place. There's a company called Teladoc, for example, that does that kind of Acute medicine, where you can call, you can Skype if you have an, you know, somebody in your family, particularly a child, and it's late at night, and that child is ill. You could call in and get a face-to-face with a clinician. There are other companies that are being developed. As a company, uh, the startup was by a woman named Melissa um, Thompson who started a company called talk sessions it's actually in play with GE and Tesla and they too are offering this and these are psychiatric consultations that are being offered to their employees but as you know none of that information can be shared with your employer and here too I have about 20 people that work for me that are protected with health insurance I have no knowledge and I have no access to any of their health care data unless there's a choice and they decide they want to be part of our system. That would be different because then I would be monitoring their health. But as an employer, you have no right and no access. And there's a bit of a conundrum in terms of the general population and how we deliver data because probably just like me, Marianne, tell me, when you walk into any doctor's office, are you asked to sign a series of paperwork saying that you're willing to release your data should the doctor be asked?
0: for that data? Generally, they just provide you with some HIPAA papers to sign and look at. Exactly. If you read those HIPAA papers, you
1: will see that there are exceptions to being able to release that data. And I have had patients, and I myself have acted on the notion that I don't want to sign a HIPAA release And the intent is that I don't want to give people arbitrary access to my data unless I know more details about it. And where I think the future lies here in precision medicine and personalizing information to the extent that we might know every detail about your genetic makeup, what turns genes on and off, what you're doing right or wrong in your lifestyle to protect your health, as you go forward in the future so you won't be a high-risk individual and a burden on either your employer or the government is that I give people choices if they want and I myself would want a choice. It should be anonymous. We should have the ability to kind of test this data and understand where it's coming from, how we own it ourselves and who might use it before it's released. And most of those documents that we ask patients to sign and we ourselves sign actually give somewhat more carte blanche to releasing that data. Certainly, any time you apply for health insurance or life insurance, you have to release that data, and that is worrisome, because then the life insurance company and health insurance company has a way to say, well, this exists, therefore you're a high risk, and we don't know whether we want to work with you or we want to cover your life this way. We don't necessarily want to protect you, or if we do, the cost skyrockets. And how do you address that information? And I think with my background in clinical research and my own desire to share knowledge and pool knowledge, I think there has to be some system, hopefully fail-safe, where we can promise some anonymity. And even if that data gets released, it can have an impact on that particular human's life because I think we can expect to see target-like infiltration of both hospital systems and offices that are now, the demand is to use EMRs, and that makes people quite afraid. They're afraid of doing genomic testing, and they're afraid of releasing sensitive data, and that prevents, I think, a clinician from truly practicing what I see as the healthcare of the future, precision medicine, in a way that gives us access to this information.
0: Thank you, Dr. Kamate. I've been speaking to Florence Kamate. I'm Marian Kolbesek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.